You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 34, The Beat Goes On, featuring Jeremy Boudreaux. This episode of Find the Good News is sponsored by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. Check out our work at parkerbrandup.com. Next week's episode features Devin Morgan, the director of the Imperial Calcasieu Museum. Devin has a message. There is plenty to do in southwest Louisiana. You just have to get involved, and he's got some pretty good advice for people that want to do that. The week after that, I'll be sharing my conversations with Rusty Havens, the founder of the Southwest Louisiana Abolitionist, and then Julia O'Carroll, the owner of Tea at Walden. That means we're just one week closer to the launch of the mixtape episode. I think you're really going to enjoy this mixtape. I'm so sure of it that I'm already putting together the next group for the second mixtape, so stay tuned for that. I'll be announcing that in the next couple of episodes as it lines up. We're also working on a Patreon reward system for Find the Good News. It's shaping up like patrons of the show would gain access to some bonus episodes that would accompany the regular weekly episodes. Plus, there will be some ways to win some Find the Good News merch. I don't want to say too much before we've got all the details worked out, but I'll keep you guys updated as we develop that. There seems to be a steady stream of suggestions for good individuals to visit with on Find the Good News. If you've got a name you'd like to send my way, you can visit www.findthegood.news. My email address and hotline number are both there, so if you want to hit me up, you can use either one of those, and I'll be monitoring them all the time, so don't hesitate to do that. It's turning out that Find the Good News has some pretty active listeners. I appreciate all the messages that I get. Please keep them coming, and I'll respond to them in kind. Who knew there were so many people out there that were hungry for good news? I had a hunch, but I really couldn't have imagined the support this podcast would gain so quickly. So if you're a listener, no matter which app or site you're using to listen, you can help spread the good news by liking or rating an episode. Leave a comment, share a link on social media. All of those things are going to help me keep Find the Good News available week after week. Okay, I think that's enough for this week. Let's get to what you tuned in for and press play on a little good news. Find the Good News has been a healthy mix of people I know, people I don't, and a lot of good people that I've been indirectly connected to through my friendships with others. This show has been an experiment. What happens when you ask this simple question? Where are the good people? When you put that signal out there, you get a signal back. And that's how I met local musician, music teacher, and business owner, Jeremy Boudreaux. Jeremy and I connected online through a friend of a friend. And not long after we made this first contact, we lost a dear friend. That connected us across space and time. You see, for a long time, I've felt that there's a beat, a drumming, a pulse that's resounding through the past, the present, and the future. If we take a minute to listen, we can hear it. Not with our ears, but somewhere else, deep in our cells, in a place inside our bodies where we can feel our ancestors, all of our individual histories syncing up, plucking the strings in our spiritual hearts. It's that beat that makes you look closely at where you've come from, all the things that had to happen to get you right where you are today. It's the beat that vibrates out from your actions, the beat that rumbles inside the people around you, the beat that people hear long after you're gone. In speaking with Jeremy, I felt that deep percussion. Where did Jeremy's cadence come from? While many people in their 20s were enjoying the fresh air and freedom of being a young adult, Jeremy Boudreaux was beating cancer, a fight that tightened snares, 
refined his rhythm, and led him on to plans and achievements he hadn't considered. He speaks with a sharp tap, honest and direct, and I found he embraces a kind of masculine compassion that I feel is severely lacking in this world. After visiting with Jeremy, I'd say there's nothing wrong with a little chest thumping, especially if you're doing it to wake up your own loving heart. Listen to this episode, and I think you'll feel it in your chest too. The thump, thump, thump of something trying to get in, and maybe something trying to get out. Go ahead and let it in. That's Jeremy Boudreaux's story, taking up shop in your mind, then opening the windows so others can hear. So make a little room, set up a drum, and let the good news beat go on. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up a story I can hear The way it's going Cause you're laughing in your sleep On the path to your deliverance And a holy wall of light Pouring through your window Old news, bad news, fake news Sometimes you just want to shut it all down And get no news at all With Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives, discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Orrin Parker, and I'm going to find the good. And I love you just. Okay, this guy's got a story to tell. <laughs> so what do you do? I am a music teacher. Where do you teach at? I teach at Bishop Nolan Episcopal Day School. Oh, right on. Yeah, okay. I teach middle school band, fifth grade through eighth grade. Yeah. And I also own a, a music studio called Village Music School. Oh, okay. Teaching yeah. private lessons. and. What kind of variety are you teaching over there? Man, we teach. If you come to us and you say, hey, I'm looking for somebody to teach this if i don't have someone who can teach it i'll find someone for you yeah i kind of operate it like that yeah that way the kids have an opportunity it's not just in one avenue right they can go down whatever right you know we uh we seem to have we we work well with little kids we have a lot of younger students like how little what do you i mean like i've i have drum students that are five really yeah wow yeah i've taken on a few of those that surprises me i guess i never realized kids got into that that young yeah you know well today you know Kids are asked. I find that kids are asked to do more. Yeah. In school in general, starting earlier and earlier. Yeah. So people are trying things out. Yeah. No, I can see that with my kid. I mean, he's eight. And I'm blown away by the um, the level of interest he has in things that I didn't get interested mm-hmm. in until probably high school. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's access. I mean, they can access uh, well, they can access good and bad. But I mean, if you as a parent, if you can provide them right some safe doors to go down, mm-hmm. and you can start to see like, wow, they're really generating this interest in something uh, right really young. And that's what we try to provide a, a space where they can do that. There's no pressure. You know, we're not 
we're not Juilliard. You know, we're not going to kick you out if you're not doing. Yeah. It's, it's just how can we foster this growth? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Where does that start for you, man? I mean, obviously, you, you seem like you really makes you happy to do it yeah so was that something that happened to you music yeah uh i come from a very musical family really uh my dad plays music my uncles play music my grandfather on my mom's side built instruments uh handmade you know just, really yeah he built guitars and violins awesome, and man. stuff so you grew up around that yeah uh one of my uncles is actually a pretty successful country music songwriter really like a producer his name is randy boudreaux right on yeah he had a he had a, quite a few hits in the 90s and stuff and that was that's my dad's brother yeah so, so that's and a they played music together sight. and it was like i grew up with my uncle randy having this like number one hit on the radio it's like yeah, that's my uncle's song yeah so that's interesting man that's got me thinking about something i was thinking about this weekend and uh i've always been kind of into nature i mean i wouldn't call that like that's a pretty broad topic but you know being outdoors and hiking and camping and just enjoying creatures you know just that space and um that's always something that i felt like was kind of hard to share with my kids like Mm -hmm. you know you want to take everything that you feel about it and sort of uh, pass it on and package it and give it to them mm-hmm. and that's always kind of bothered me a little bit that I haven't really ever figured out a good way to do that and finally a few years ago I, I noticed that they really didn't have that level of interest that I had and I said well I'm just going to let it go mm-hmm. I'm just going to get back to just I'll enjoy it and if they don't that's okay too but this weekend uh, my son was like hey dad I want to uh, can I go buy a plant for me to take care of I was like yeah we can do that and uh so we went and we went plant shopping together and he picked some plants out and he got he went home and we did all the stuff you know bought the pots put them fed them watered them trimmed them up and he just come in the the bedroom last night when we were watching tv and he said uh man today was such a good day and i was like really and he said yeah he said i just really enjoyed that so much and it just made me realize just the exposure. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, in my head, it was like, I've got to pass this on. And I had this idea that I had to do something. Mm-hmm. Really, all I had to do was just be me be and yourself. expose. Yeah. And then, like, what you're talking about is that 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 just uh, sponge you yeah. are as a kid just and comes th- into you. That's very much how it was for us. Um, right? My dad never was like, you're going to learn to play this. It was never that. Yeah. It was just... The instruments were there. There's always guitars or bass guitars, drums just around the house. Yeah. You know, and uh, when I was in sixth grade, all my friends are joining the school band, and I didn't know that drums were an instrument for band. Oh, yeah. You see the horns. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and that's what all my friends were playing trumpet and trombone and whatever. Yeah. And, uh, like, right before Christmas break, I remember, like, finding a drum set in my parents room like in the, in their closet and i was like hey who's this <laughs> can i set this up and like you know my dad was like mm-hmm, okay yeah sure and so i did and then got special permission from the band director to join band yeah. in the spring okay beginning band and uh i've been involved in band ever since yeah so what know? do you what do you and you have like one instrument that's like your focus is i'm a it? drummer you're primarily a drummer yeah okay yeah interesting man and so you pass that on to kids i love that story man it's like just the interest of uh seeing the drums was enough to yeah. to kind of pull you into that yeah. and like i i wish i still had that drum set it was this little 
old Ludwig 1970 vintage red sparkle drum set. It was small, wasn't in real good shape. But yeah. it was mine. You know, man, you know. how good is that? I mean, so many kids uh, get interested in something, but because it's not something that their parents are into, they kind of have to fight for it a little more. Mm-hmm. When you're in a family where it's sort of already, you already have a runway for it. Yeah. How, how nice is that? I mean, and what blossoms out of that? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just goes to show you that having fertile ground for anything. Right makes such a huge difference i i see that a lot and it kind of stings like and I'm, I'm a people watcher i mean i admit it I, and i can't help it i just mm-hmm. always have been and i as i got older and started having children of my own i started watching other parents and how they parent and this mm-hmm. is going to sound like a harsh judgment but uh and i guess it is it's unfortunate i still have that in me but i mean i got my own stuff to work on mm-hmm. but i would watch other parents and i could see those narratives taking place where you could see the dynamic where a kid is interested in something and a parent just shuts them down right because it's not what they're into even as a as a teacher i've seen that a lot i've really? worked in a lot of high schools i taught the percussion at jennings high school for seven years yeah uh, i would go a couple times a week after school, I drive over to Jennings High and work with them. Yeah. And uh, and right now I'm doing that with Westlake. Yeah. And uh, you see that. You see kids that are super into like, this kid's super into band. He's into drumline. That's his thing. He's great at it. And yeah. like his dad played football. Yeah. And his dad's like, eh. He's like. Oh, yeah. And you're like, man, like. Yeah. Your kid's, he's, he's excelling. Right. And he loves it. He's working hard at it. He's practicing. Yeah. All day, every day. Right. And you're like, yeah, but I wish he would have played football. Like, I see that yeah, a lot. Yeah, I bet you do. It's it's disappointing. I don't see that so much at a, uh, at the the school I, like, I'm currently employed at, at EDS. Yeah. There's not there's not too much of that. We're very, uh, very diverse okay. in our uh, student body. We're very diverse in our uh, interests. Everybody kind of does everything. It's a small school, so it's like kids play football, and they play band. Yeah. And they do art. Got a little crossover. Yeah. I mean, I help coach football when I'm the band director. Yeah. <laughs> and I do. I, you know, I'm big into powerlifting. So during the summer, yeah. we do a weightlifting camp. Is that you? Did you spearhead that? Or yes. That, oh, really? Right yeah. on, man. Yeah. It's like I teach them how to lift weights and then I teach them how to do marching band. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want to leave that that part of this conversation. But, I mean, since we're talking about it, that was the thing. I... Again, I think it's fascinating meeting somebody new across mm-hmm. the table because you can only make so many assumptions from what you find online. And when you started popping up, you know, you're putting the context together. I'm going, okay, this guy's a power lifter. What's going on here? Because <laughs> that that I didn't. I put. I saw that first. Right. And the music was later. Mm-hmm. But you know what I'm hearing is the opposite the powerlifting came later so where yes. does that where does that show up okay. for you and what's right. the what's the that in your life all right so this is uh <laughs> here i'm, I'm ready yeah, man yeah, that's what yeah. i want to hear i want to hear right. about this so in 2009 i was diagnosed with stage three hodgkin's lymphoma really yeah i was 25 years old wow man and just like wasn't feeling good but like just kind of thought i was I was working a lot. I was in school full time working. What do you mean you weren't feeling good? I mean, I'm, I'm asking because I've heard the same thing from other people. I was run down, just wore just, out. Yeah, just wore out. But like I said, like I was in the drum line at McNeese. Yeah, college marching band is a full time job in itself. Right. I was also going to school, 
And I was bartending, working. Yeah. You're burning it like morning and night. Yeah. yeah. But still, you're young, right? So right. you're thinking, I got the juice. I can do this. Yeah. And I was. I was doing it. Yeah. You know? But uh, just one day, I was like, man, I just... I want to. I need to go. I'm just not feeling good. Like yeah. I thought I like had like a cold or something. Yeah, like a flu type. Yeah, and I went and got some blood work done, and the doctor was like, uh, "I need to send you somewhere else." And that started this whole like. Yeah. Over like the next like month, things just kind of happened really? fast. Yeah, and then uh, that was in like September, and then October 31st, I started my first chemotherapy treatment. What year is this? 2009. Wow, man! So 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I did six months of chemo and did treatment every two weeks. Uh, and then I did some radiation therapy on after that. Cause yeah. I had, I had like tumors in my neck. That's where it was like, there was this big knot in my neck yeah. that I hadn't really noticed because at the time I had like a neck beard and like just, yeah. Was, so you didn't, I was unkempt as unkempt could be, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, then, so I found, you know, they found that and I was like, Oh Okay. Huh. So, and you did you, you didn't feel it yourself. You just kind of thought maybe. Yeah, I mean, I just I didn't know what I was yeah, looking how for. Would you? Right. Yeah. 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 More thinking about that. Right. right. Uh, and so that happened and after getting through that and the doctors being like, "Hey, you're going to be fine. Like everything looks good." Like, "All right, cool. I'm going to start taking care of myself." Yeah, I got you. But at that point, I hadn't really put much thought into that. Um, yeah, that wasn't a focus. You were living. Right. Young. Right. You're thinking, I got time yeah. to do that. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So I did that and came back, started going back to school, started just exercising, trying to eat a little better, things yeah. like that, and started lifting weights on my own. Yeah. And that stuff. And uh, I guess it was about four years ago, maybe, maybe four years ago, John O'Donnell was like, hey, you need to talk to my friend Freddie. He coaches a powerlifting team. Like, you need to go check it out. That seems like a big jump, like powerlifting. I mean, you go yeah. from just lifting weights to going, I'm going powerlifting. Right. Well, it's, it's like, like the lifting that I was doing on my own was that. Oh, you were already kind of in that territory. I just was just okay. kind of figuring it out. Yeah, on you know, your own. Right. Kinda, yeah. And I look back at like some of the videos I took from them. I'm like, oh, man, I could hurt myself. Like, well, I, dude, it looks like you could hurt yourself. Yeah. If you don't have a coach, it's I very bet. easy to go the wrong way. You're putting a lot of stress on your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you do it properly, it's pretty yeah. good for you. I mean, I'm, I'll be 35. This is this weekend. Oh, oh wow, it's coming yeah. up, man. Yeah. Wow. And, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and I feel better than I ever did in my 20s. Yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, so I started training with Lake Charles Powerlifting four years ago and I've competed in six competitions since then and man we've hosted some at EDS yeah incredible and it gives let me ask you I mean because we really jumped over that cancer part Mm -hmm. I mean I get the line you get it's like here then here Mm -hmm. then here but like during so you went through that for about what year six months I mean during chemo I mean how long you would call I would would say almost a year yeah chemo was a six month thing and then did radiation therapy, and then basically like that summer was like just kind of getting back into yeah doing things normally. And you're not married; you don't have kids at this not time, that time. Right? No. How does that change your? I mean, I'm going to ask this question because I mean, to me, it's probably for me, it's always been the most valuable question I could ask myself is about my mortality. Mm-hmm. Like, how did that? What was going through your mind? I mean, during that time period, like, is there any of those questions? Like, more, I'm sure mortality, right? Right. Um, well, I mean, up until that point, 
you know, I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah. I mean, that's a young age to just go, okay, I'm on, I'm on track, man. I'm working, going to school Mm -hmm. and then bam. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. Then I thought a lot about it a whole lot. Yeah. You know, and it's easy to get down. Yeah. Because you're like, man, I just, all this stuff that I haven't done. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I might not get to do it. Right. And then I kind of came around to this other train of thoughts where, like, you know, if, if you do pass away, if you do die, the world's going to keep going. Mm. You know, all the people you love are still going to be here. They're doing their things. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's some interesting back and forth you play in your mind to kind of justify, like, if it goes this way, well... I won't have to watch my parents pass away. Yeah, you're thinking like, of the, suffer- like the other sufferings that you don't have to go through. Right, you know, which is a kind yeah. of a crazy thing to think about. That is an interesting mm-hmm. thing. I hadn't thought of that before, but it's like, well, if, I, if I'm if i not here, then the mental anguishes of all these future, because eventually mm-hmm. the longer you live, right. you know, you do, you see yeah. you're going to go through some tragedies. Yeah. Uh, and especially in like our culture now, we're so far removed from death and right you know we just don't see it in our everyday like our ancestors may have yeah even just a hundred years ago or 200 years ago uh so it's i I feel like we were kind of we were meant to learn to deal with those things earlier on in life yeah but we just don't now it's interesting man and i'm maybe a weird segue but i was watching this movie called alpha have you seen this about the uh it's it's prehistoric times, but I got that same thought when I was watching that movie, and these guys are they're hunting uh, woolly mammoths or or ancient bison or something, and so they're they're traveling in these little packs. But the night was terrifying for these mm-hmm. people, and so they would they would huddle up in these circles, you know, and have these sort of campfires and cling to the fire. But they did a good job in this movie of really illustrating what life was like in the fears of the darkness. And you would see these just eyes out around these guys, and they'd go to sleep, and you know, saber-toothed tigers would just drag them off into the dark. <sighs> and I thought about that. I was like, man, I'm gonna lay down with my door shut, my air condition, and all this. And I just got that thought of what you said: how there's all these buffers between mm-hmm. us and like just death. Well, even <clears throat> that kind of goes to back to with the cancer stuff. That's something I thought about. I started becoming thankful. Mm. for the fact that I was born now. Yeah. Because right. I mean, even 60 years ago, people who had Hodgkin's lymphoma just died. Yeah. And the only course of action was to do exploratory surgery. Mm. They were just like, yeah, we know you got something wrong with you, but we don't know what, so we're just going to cut you open and look around. Yeah. And then it didn't fix anything. Yeah. They were just like, yep, that's what we thought it was. Kind of research almost. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it happened to thousands of people. Man, I think about that kind of thing all the time. It's it's not just with that, but with so much. I go, you know, how... And I know it, it can sound dark, and I don't mean it to be, but I think it's generating gratitude out of that. Yeah. Is to go, the fact that I... Um, can drink out of uh, a container, a uh, plastic, whatever. I mean, granted, you know, plastic these days, we're finally starting to realize, hey, wake up, you know, we mm-hmm. need to change the way we do things. But I was thinking about just the, the the good values of something like plastic, and I thought, you know, there are values 
to it. There are things that, that we can do that we couldn't have done before, but at the same time, it's all built on the backs and the suffering of somebody else. And it goes into something yeah. I've really thought about for a long time is that there's a price for every blessing that we get. I mean, somewhere down the chain mm-hmm. connected to the, whatever you're receiving, there's something or somebody that's paying the price for that somewhere. Right. And that's, right. that's where grat. I think that's where maybe as a people and especially in, in our country, we need to have really way more gratitude than we do. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's what you're saying. I mean, all the people, who didn't have those resources, but all the surgeries and the exploratory stuff, I mean, they, they died, yeah. I, I mean, mean yeah. so I did, when people hear the words radiation therapy, they think some pretty terrible things, because at one point it was pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. I did 15 30-second treatments on my neck. Yeah. And that was it. Like, I didn't really have any side effects. It was mild. Yeah. At the I mean, like a mild sunburn at the very yeah. at the most. Uh and I mean, they used to just radiate your entire body. Yeah. They were just like, yeah, we're just, it could be everywhere. So we're just going to douse your entire body in an immense dose of radiation. Yeah. And then they started figuring out that that wasn't necessary. Right. I mean, I'm lucky. I benefited from that. It's interesting how that can go such a different way because see, my mom had cancer and she had to do radiation therapy. And while, yes, it ultimately did get rid of the cancer i mean she's in remission and all that where it was at for her it um cooked her so bad and then now she has it has actually destroyed her um the calf muscles in her legs the ability for the i guess the muscles to do what they're supposed to do Mm. so every time if she sits down for 30 minutes the muscles it's almost like she has to rip them oh, apart to stand geez. up. It's a terrible one. So she's like, you know, you'll see like tears, like two tears will just come down her eyes when she stands up. And I go, you know, it's like how it's very hard for her yeah. to find like that gratitude within that mm-hmm. pain. I see that anyway. And again, my mother listens to this show and I'm psychoanalyzing what's going on in her head because <laughs> of her pain. But right. it's just what I see as a son. I just go, she's. It's very easy. People go, you should be glad you you don't have cancer. And at the same time, it's like, yes, I am. But I'm having to every right. time I stand up, I'm going through excruciating mm-hmm. pain for the rest of her life. The doctors right. have said, There's, this isn't going to get better. It's only going to get worse. Mm. So it's that weird, like double-edged thing mm-hmm. with the value of life, but then suffering, you know, I don't know. Interesting, man. I don't know. I can't imagine going through that at, at that age. Yeah. I mean... I'm fortunate that I didn't really suffer too many side effects. Yeah, it's all really I did, amazing. I, I did really well, even with chemotherapy. Like, yeah, uh, I didn't. I didn't throw up one time. Really? Yeah, I actually gained like thirty pounds. Wow. Yeah, pretty crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, they said it was pretty. Uh, they said like two percent. Yeah. Of people who go through that have that kind of reaction. If you had to go through that again, do you think it would be, I mean, which I mean, God, you know, I'm sure you don't ever want to go through that again, but if you did, do you think you'd, what would you carry into it this time? I mean, 10 years later, uh, trusting my doctors mm. and just kind of, you know, this is what they do. Yeah. You know, uh, they didn't just look this stuff up on Wikipedia. Like, you know, they, they went to school for a long time. <laughs> right. And, you know, they have a lot of experience with yeah. it. And I mean, 
Yeah, that's. I mean, at the time, I was scared because I just had no clue. Oh yeah, you just no clue what's gonna happen. You know, I remember did the first chemo treatment. And I was just like sitting there waiting for something bad to happen. Just yeah. waiting. Well, that. there's so much information out there. Yeah. There's movies. I mean, the word cancer itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a. Uh, it's like a, a dark force yeah. almost. Yeah. You know? That's what it sounds like. It For feels sure. Like. So yeah, you hear that. Something. I wish I could remember who told me this, but they said, uh, "They're like, man, you know, it's scary, but they're like, how, how do you want to die? Well, yeah, you know, it's like yeah. you don't." Right. You know, I mean, none of it's going to be fun. Right. You know, so just do what you can to get through this. Yeah. You know, you know death is, uh, man, and I'm getting this, I don't want this to turn into a dark conversation. And I, don't, I don't feel like that's the death is something that always has to be dark. Right. To I agree talk with that about. Too. Yeah. You know, my son, um, what were we watching? My littlest boy. He he's never going to really know my dad the way I knew him. He died when he was five years old, Mm -hmm. but, but it's interesting how he brings him up more than anybody. And there was something we were talking about watching the other day. I was talking about memories and how you can smell them and how you, they're tangible and you can hear the sounds. And we were watching this documentary. It was some, something about Tesla and Einstein or something. And, uh, he turned around and looked at me and goes, that's how I feel about Paul. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, I can, I, I can close my eyes and like, you know, hear him and I can see him and I have thoughts. And I was like, that's interesting. And I mean, I, I started crying, you know mm-hmm. I mean? There's some kind of gift in that to be able to cultivate that inside yourself, like to be able to actually hang on to memories, even at that little age. And, right. you know, and I, I told my son, we were that my older boy, I said, you know, the value of I guess mindfulness in being with each other is so high, you know, because if you, I mean, if you know death is coming, I mean, it's coming for everybody. Why wouldn't you want to go ahead and just go, well, I know I'm not going to always be here. If I leave before my children, which I hope I do, I want them to have those capsules you know right. inside of themselves so they don't have to have that a hundred percent loss feeling you right know? some people i see when they lose somebody it's devastating um and it, it is possibly because they love them but it's because it's just not encapsulated you know mm-hmm. they feel like they're just gone you know there's yeah does that make sense it's mm-hmm. like it's just erased from existence mm-hmm. i don't know i'm getting off there but no i know i know what you're I've had that thought too. You know, I have two children. You know, and I, yeah, that's how I would want them. I don't want them to think. Yeah, he's just gone. Yeah, like it's just erased. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what terrifies most people about death is mm-hmm. the nothingness, the the fear of nothing. Finality. Yeah. At all. Yeah. yeah. I have this conversation a lot. I have a lot of thoughts about it, you know, and I'm going to bring, if you, if you don't mind me going somewhere, I'm going to bring up Brian Moore. Mm-hmm. You guys were really close. Yeah. I mean, seems like as close as two people can get. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I started, I guess it was like 2004. Yeah. That's when I first started really like playing music professionally, you know, with, with someone other than my family. Yeah. Started playing in working bands and stuff. Yeah. Uh, he was in one of those bands. And he was, uh, he kind of took me under his wing. 
You know, he's like this older musician. Yeah. He was an awesome bass player, fantastic singer. And uh we just we just clicked. However like our personalities worked, we yeah. just we just got it. Yeah. Uh and we played together a lot for a long time, you know, just over the years. I mean it was you know, fifteen years. Wow. You know, playing together off and on. It's crazy. And we got to the point where we didn't have to say things to each other. I mean, we're playing a song and we're just I know where he's going, he knows where I'm going. We're having a conversation without saying words. Yeah. You know. That's to me that's like peak musicianship. Yeah. That's like what every musician dreams of with their band is no one has to say anything. Yeah, dude. I mean, honestly, would you say this? Because, I mean, I'm listening to you and I see the kind of look on your face. Mm-hmm. Would you say you're like, in, almost in a way, you're like in love with each other in a way? Yeah. I mean, like. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're creating something together. Yeah. You're all contributing your own thing to it. It's music is art that changes every time you do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, true. it's the subtleties you, of the, the band, same yeah. song. You can play it a thousand times and it's a thousand different pieces of art. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to put that. Yeah. I, it's interesting. So, you know, you guys knew each other about 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. I met Brian in junior high school and we both went to LeBlanc middle school together. And I, <laughs> you know, we lost touch after high school, but and I say lost touch. I moved away and, you know, we weren't super close in high school, mm-hmm. but our uh, relationship this is kind of a funny story. And it was just so strange how I had been thinking about it the week that he had passed away. I would told the story to somebody else. I was uh, bullied terribly bad in junior high school and um just constant over there where i went to school i don't know what it was but it just constantly never stopped always some kid wanting to pick a fight with you and uh you know that changes you as a kid it just it soaks into your brain it changes the way you behave and so brian and i were friends just general friends not like we went over to each other's house but we were just general friends we knew we had classes together and i can't for the life of me remember what instigated this that day but one day it was i was late for the school bus it was the end of the school day and brian and i had been joking around and i was trying to get my um i was trying to get my stuff out of my locker well brian had came up behind me and put his butt against the locker door my fingers got caught in my locker and i was like dude we were the only two people in the hall i was like i gotta go and he was kind of giggling and bumping up against the locker and i was like you gotta let me go and he he was smashing fingers he wasn't bullying me Mm -hmm. he was cutting up but i was like getting into that point where all that bullying was kicking in Mm, yeah and so I had a pencil in my hand, and dude, I don't know why I did it. I stabbed him in the stomach. With it. And his the look I can still to this day it's one of it's a very strong memory because I was like down on the ground at this locker, and I look up and I can see his face, and the look on his face was just like, <gasps> and he said to me, he goes, "If I'm bleeding, you're dead." <laughs> <laughs> so. I looked at my pencil, the like tip of the pencil is gone. And so I get my fingers out. He goes to the bathroom. Well, uh, (laughs) I'm like, I got to go catch the school bus. I'm running down the hall. Well, he comes out and he's got a little blood spot on his shirt and he comes up to me and he's just like getting all on me about it. And then we we were really not fighting. We were trying to have like, we're having a kind of a discussion. It was like. Mm Hey, you know, why'd you do that? And, and, you know, back and forth. And why'd you do this? And you shouldn't have done that. It was just a bickering between friends. Well, this other guy comes up 
And I don't know why, I guess because Brian was a bigger dude, you know. The guy just grabs me and and yanks me away from Ryan. And that turned to me and this guy get in a fight. <laughs> and it was sort of like this domino effect of, of this whole pattern I had with bullies ever since that day. And I always tell that story. I said, you know, it was on that day that... Uh, Brian and I, I guess, became better friends because uh-huh. he he and I both realized this little conflict that we had had, this silly thing, turned into something way worse because we couldn't get along. You right. know, two friends couldn't right. get along. I always carried that memory around. I don't know why. I always, when I think, when I, every time I would sharpen a pencil for years after that, <laughs> and I mean even up to you know now, when I would sharpen a pencil, I would always think of Brian Moore, and. I hadn't talked to him in many years and then this happens and it just like i don't know just that that again sharpening a pencil everything in his life and all the things that people were sharing all just got sharpened down in that moment and it really made me feel like a ton of regret for not cultivating a better relation a better friendship with him mm-hmm. after that do yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah. like and i watched all these people who did have this like you this deeper, longer relationship with the man. And I thought, man, what I missed out on really. Right. You know, all over a sharpened pencil yeah. tip, you know. And so I don't know. It was just I don't know. I, I again, like I said, it's weird. I uh someone like him, you almost don't feel like they're gone. Yeah. Oh, I mean, with the band we were playing in, we still we t- every practice we're like bring up something hey we're gonna do this and it's like whose idea was that yeah that was bees yeah yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah it's just that happens every rehearsal yeah that's gonna keep and, and that's the beauty of that yeah. that's that's where not having that's where you can take take death i think and like completely judo flip that into something else because all the the raw goods are there from brian's life and it's mm-hmm. just echo you know it's echoes out through Every vibration of every string, yeah. beat of every drum, every everything like that. That's that's really awesome, man. Appreciate you allowing us to go there. I, I felt oh, like yeah, uh, yeah. And that relationship with death has uh, been a big revealer for me. And I'm happy. I know it. If you're like me, then you've got a long wish list of things you need to do around your house, things you just can't get to. It's not that I don't want to do them, but between my responsibilities at work, producing this show, and squeezing in some valuable mental downtime, I can't seem to get around to fixing the small stuff, and the big stuff is just waiting in line. To be honest, it kind of stresses me out. Maybe you're stressing out too. Well, stress no more because I've got good news. My friend Ben Von Duke has started a handyman service and he takes the mystery out of getting these things done. Ben Von Duke is not just some guy that calls himself handy. He knows what he's doing and he knows a whole lot. Not only is he an experienced and professional carpenter, but he's kind of a duke of all trades. What I love is that he's created an a la carte price list of services so you don't have to worry about getting in your pockets too deep before you're ready. He'll fix your running toilet, install appliances, replace fixtures, install ceiling fans, repair sheetrock and concrete, and a whole lot more than that. Look, I'm not too proud to say this, but sometimes it takes me three times as long to fix something because I've got to get online and search videos just to figure out what tools I need. Then I have to go buy the tools that I don't have and then kind of sort of come home and do the job. 
I don't have to do that anymore because Ben Von Duke will do it and do it better. On top of all that, he's just a good person, someone you can trust. He's honest, he's kind, and those are things that I value highly, and I bet you do too. You can get a hold of Ben Von Duke, the Duke of all trades, the good old-fashioned way, by using the phone. Call or text Ben at 337-540-1355. That's 337-540-1355. He'll send you his service and price list, and trust me, his prices are more than fair. And do me a favor. When you do message Ben at 337-540-1355, tell him you heard about the Duke of all trades on Find the Good News. You make these big changes in your life. I mean, so now you're a decade later into that. How does all that come together? Talking about a sharpened pencil point. Yeah. How does that all shape you? I mean, so who do you, who are you now as to who you were 10 years ago? Right. So uh, at the time before I was diagnosed, I kind of wasn't sure of what I wanted to do mm. with my life. I was in school. Wasn't doing particularly well. Wasn't really studying all that much, <laughs> missing a lot of classes. You know, I was playing music and Having bartending. Time, yeah, yeah. Uh, that changed things for sure. You know, I came back and was like, "All right, I can do this school thing. I can graduate and whatnot." And uh, while I was doing chemo, I connected with uh, a guy that used to play music with my dad. Mm-hmm. He was the band director. I, I'm from Iowa, and he was the band director at Iowa High School and at the middle school whenever I was in elementary school. Okay. And he played saxophone in a band with my dad. And his name is Matt Golden. He's now the band director at Westlake High. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, you know, we, I was like, I, I sent him a message on Facebook. I was like, hey, I remember you. Like, you played music with my dad and whatever. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, how's your dad doing? chat a little bit and he's like I see you're a drummer I need someone to come help my drum line and at this time he was at Jennings High School he's like I need a I need a percussion guy to come and I was like well I've like I literally had like my last chemo was like the day before their band camp started oh wow and band camp's a lot of work right, right. yeah yeah uh, I was like okay I'll do it <laughs> and so I would bring my computer with me to chemo and i was writing music and it just gave me something to kind of focus on yeah right using that time using yeah. make and make them yeah i was like i said i'm gonna be here for a few hours put some headphones in and just get to work yeah and see what i can do so i came up with some things for them some warm-ups and technique stuff and finished my chemo next day i'm like all right i feel pretty good all right here we go wild man yeah so drove jennings Met the kids, started teaching drums right away, and I was there from 2010 to 2016. And now during that beginning of that time period, you're not fully like free and clear. Didn't like the doctor said, okay, chemo's done, cancer free. No, know? no, it's not like that. They, you know, they finish chemo and they're like, okay, you can if you're feeling good, go ahead and do stuff. But you know, we got some more tests we have yeah, to run. Yeah, right. And you're I not- still had radiation therapy to do. Yeah. Okay. At that time. Uh, so but I yeah. Just, I just I was ready to go. And you rolled into it. Roll, yeah. See, that's awesome because you. I, I love hearing this because I and I know and I don't know if you wanted to linger a bunch on this on cancer, but I mean, there's a lot to be learned in there and to unpack. I mean, and what I'm hearing is, 
you don't have to get stuck right there because no. that can happen. I've seen it happen mm-hmm. where it's like, I've got cancer. Life stops. I mean, yeah. everything stops and you get like paused right there and you're just sort of watching. You see people like just waiting, mm-hmm. right? And you didn't wait, man. Doesn't well, seem like you were waiting. No, it goes back to that quote. You know, I'm not, it's not a quote, but yeah, I mean, how do you want to die? Yeah. Like, you, you're just going to sit and wait. You're just going to sit there and wait for things to go bad, or you're going to live your life. Right. That's, I mean, life's happening whether you're sitting and waiting for it to end yeah. or not. Well, man, I can say I get that. I am guilty, too. I mean, I've went through hot and cold spots like mm-hmm. that where you get stuck and you're like, well, I'm waiting for something to happen. And honestly, I would even say, and this show is kind of like that. You know, it comes from that place because... I, I have those thoughts. Like somebody ought to have a, a place for people to talk about this kind of stuff. Somebody ought to, and I kept saying those words, somebody should, I wish somebody would. Mm-hmm. At some point I was like, well, I'm sitting around waiting for something that really maybe I, maybe I have the capacity to just do. Right. And make that, there may be other people out there who are having that thought too. Right. Waiting, well, why wait? Because if I keep waiting, I can wait and be dead. Yeah, and then go, man. I sure wish yeah. I would have, you know, done that. I wish I'd have had a table for people to sit at and mm-hmm. just be able to open up and yeah. talk about real stuff. And yeah, so I mean, I get it. It's like you can wait and wait and wait. Why not be that thing? Yeah, yeah. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, and so you did. You, yeah. you took off. You just went forward. Yeah, and uh, I was still bartending, working that stuff, and I was in school. But I was like, this drumline thing was fun. Yeah, went a couple days a week. Spent about a month during the summer <clears throat> working with the kids and developed some really close relationships with some of those kids. Uh, so from that, from that little Jennings drumline, I think I was it four or five kids from that drumline went on to play in college. Oh wow! Uh, two of which became music majors. One of them is working on her master's degree right now, mm. and the other one is. Uh, He's he's actually at McNeese right now, working on his undergrad. Yeah, and I mean, for Jennings, you know, Jennings is a small community. Sure, small little group of kids. Mm-hmm. When I first got there, I think there were like seven kids on the drum line, and at one point we had like over twenty. Wow, just playing drums. Like it was like a third of the band was kids who wanted to play drums. Yeah. You know, we did some cool stuff. We went and competed. We won a state championship in indoor percussion, which is basically drumline indoors. We did that, and uh, I, I wrote their music out for them. Like it was, that's what I enjoyed about it was he gave me free reign to say, hey, this is, what do they need? Yeah. And I had never had that before. Yeah, so you get to tailor this. And yeah. go, oh, well, well, let me think yeah. about this. Yeah, so I wrote stuff that I thought was to their level yeah. that challenged them a little bit. And we just kept going. Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting. I want to talk about that that uh, that um, desire that maybe we don't even realize we have until someone gives us an opportunity to do it to tailor something. You know, because I see it when people open businesses a lot, where they're like, "Oh, well, this guy's doing good over here selling these or this service." Well, I'll just go, I'll slap a logo, and I'm, I'm, it sounds like I'm belittling. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm going to slap a logo on it grab my own team, sell the same service. Mm-hmm. And you take the branding off and you kind of, for all intents and purposes, it's the same business. You right. see that over and over again. 
how nice is it when somebody goes, well, hang on. I don't have to do, yeah, that's a cool business, but I don't have to do that. I don't have to structure it that way. I'm going to do this thing. And honestly, we end up celebrating that stuff more Mm -hmm. when it's like, wow, there's something special or something, something popping about this. What Mm -hmm. is it? What's different? And so, I mean, these kids are probably, it's probably why you saw that increase, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're seeing like you're dumping in, what if, what do I, what would I want to do? Right. Yeah. 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 And you're coming out of a place where, you know, here's this kid who sees a drum set, you know, so, and, and music sort of in the background of your life already. So you're like the perfect person for that. Mm-hmm. It's all just kind of history. Your own little personal history made you into that guy. Right. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, you know, it's interesting how much of it is intent. That's a question I ask myself so uh-huh. often. How much of who I am and what I'm doing is my intent? And how much of it, of it is just the gravity of like history just rolling forward and like continuing to blend all my ancestors' struggles and things right. together? And right. then here you are, you know? And, mm-hmm. you know, some of it's, yeah, maybe me, but the rest of it's just some sort of, I, I'm in, in line in the dominoes, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, I think about that a lot, uh, how all those things combine. And how two people from almost the same exact background can have two totally different views on something. Yeah. You know, uh, you've probably seen me talk about it before, like with, I'm big into Cajun history, heritage, all that stuff. And to me, I look at the struggle our ancestors went through and that gives me a lot of empathy for other people going through that today through we're that. seeing that yeah yeah you know whether, glad you brought this up yeah uh and other people don't see it that way no you and i were in a conversation online <laughs> yes, recently we and i was like you know and and it was actually i'll be honest that was on one hand i wasn't surprised mm-hmm. but on the on the other hand i saw something that I, i'm happy to see and it's uh people there are more people showing up here in southwest louisiana that feel differently about this than I maybe assumed they did. There are mm-hmm. more, especially men. It's usually what I find, and I'm, getting, I'm all over the place with this, is that I, I, I find that I hear it from uh, women more who, who, who see the families and mm-hmm. people going through these struggles looking for asylum or migrants or what have you, whatever it may be. The women rise up and have those voices. And there was almost like a, a machismo that comes with being against it, you know, right. and like there's something manly about it. And it's like something manly about wrapping yourself up in the stars and stripes and like calling it yours. And it's some Alamo mentality. Yeah. And I mean, I don't I I, I go, where are the, the tender male voices? Right. Or where are those masculine voices? Yes. That are going to stand up and say, hey. Being compassionate is a good thing Mm -hmm. and rise up in that regard. There's a strength in that. I would argue that being compassionate is a masculine virtue. Oh, man. I'd be too. Yes. To have to have physical strength, to be able to domineer over someone else who's weaker than you and to not. Yeah. I mean, to just say, like, no, I'm going to help you. Yeah. I could just take your stuff if I wanted to. But I'm going to actually generate. Yeah, right. Yeah. That is harder because, I mean, look, all the emotions that drive us to hate and to be angry and to be violent and to choose those things as our options, uh, 
those things are hot mm-hmm. and they can like just I mean they're just like poisons they'll take your mind over you know at one point they must have served us well at some point in our evolution or we wouldn't have them right you know that that instinct to protect yeah to circle up and just kind of say that's yours this is mine you can't get in here like right. at some point that was talking about them alpha yeah you know, right I mean, exactly that's what they were trying that's right yeah, yeah you know uh but we're we we're the same animal who dealt with those things basically from 20,000 years ago we're the same thing we just have a different set of problems now and maybe that reaction isn't always the best one yeah for the situation i mean and most people don't react that way. I think what we see a lot of is just the loud voices. That's right. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. They get the airtime. It's sensational. Yeah. It's juicy. It's gossipy. And there's yeah. a, there's a desire for that. Yeah. It's an empty container though. I mean, right. that is a meal that will leave you hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I can see when I was probably younger. I, I think back to high school a lot. I had a friend. My, it's funny. My son and I were just talking about this. We were talking about friendships, how they change and evolve over time. You mm-hmm. know, some, how, how it's normal. When you're young, you may not feel like it's normal when you feel a friend group breaking up. And you're right. going, this doesn't, this, it hurts more because you haven't been through it before. And I told him, you know, I was giving him an example. I said, I had a friend like that in high school. You know, we were all going to go in the military. You know, we were all pretty gung-ho. We all had this idea. And then as high school goes on and you start to see, well, this friend is maybe kind of racist. Mm-hmm. This, These conflicts that you're getting into as a friend group are really seated in this one person's ideas and they're very hot and they're very aggressive and you can all get wrapped up in the toe of that and then it, you all because your friends want to say oh this is how we all think together but as your mind you know you start right. to mature just in that four years you start to go that's not really who i am that's not really what i want and you break away from those friend groups and i think that just happens in the adult world too we get yeah. wrapped up in that momentum of something and it feels good to be in a group and a tribe right you know everybody's wearing the same hat you know everybody's saying the same things everybody's hating the same people well, it's a survival instinct yeah yeah i'm safe in this group over here and mm-hmm. we're pretty hot you know right. what i mean and you better not mess with us right you know it's just classic mob gang mentality mm-hmm. and we're just seeing it happen online we're seeing it happen on the news we're seeing i mean boats but all the every camp you right know? so yeah i agree it is nice, though. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I kind of, and on the flip side of that, I kind of felt like that even when we were having that conversation that night, I was like, hey, look, there's some other other voices coming in here mm-hmm. that aren't so quick to judge people. Right. It's nice. Something that used to happen a lot when I was bartending. All right, so I'm this bartender behind the bar, and I got a shaved head and kind of beefy. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I look like a skinhead. I get it. I get it. <laughs> right. But people would come up to me and say, like, you know, just say something kind of racist. And I'm making an assumption. I make yeah, an assumption right. that I'm cool with it. And every time I'd go, what'd you say? Uh, hey, why'd you say that? Why? Why'd you say that? Yeah. Huh? Huh? Well, yeah, you can leave now. Oh, what? I like, yeah, I'm, I'm not serving you. I don't have to. Right. I did that a lot. Yeah. You know. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. It's kind of fun. You know. That happened to me. 
Um, and I'm guilty at, at various points in my life of making an assumption based on an appearance. But uh, again, it's instinctual. It ha- it's yeah. a survival trait. Well, it's it's what happens. When it's context. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're all walking around the world uh, getting information from every which direction. If something happens enough times, you start to make a assumption. Right. Right. I mean, you make it or you make some kind of call about it. Your mm-hmm. mind's doing that, whether you're paying attention or not. I think it's our job to. It's the primitive math of <laughs> yeah, survival. That's right. You got to make a calculation. That's right. This looks like the last thing that was bad. So this must be bad, right. too. I mean, you know, it's you don't stick your hand in a fire. It's hot. It's pretty classic. But I think that's where some mind training helps mm-hmm. where you're watching your thoughts mm-hmm. and going, OK, I'm having this recurring feeling here. Mm-hmm. But I think what i see anyway and i'm getting guilty and victim or whatever is that the world is so fast it isn't saying slow down and watch your thoughts slow down mm-hmm. and watch your mind slow down and watch your behavior slow down and ask yourself why you're doing this thing and so we just roll right into all these things and before long we're just wrapped up in a yeah. pattern of behavior and thinking you know mm-hmm. one thing that i <laughs> In these those types of conversations that I really get kind of gets me and I don't really even know the right way to talk about it is when somebody starts saying, well, the law, the law, the law, the law. And I go, yeah, I mean, OK, but if we're going to use the law of it for anything as our full basis for our compassion and our our ability to be kind and just and human, I mean, we can look throughout history and find unjust laws all over the place. I mean, not that there are people who are alive now who were victims of those that's right (laughs) that's right i mean so we can't really use that right you know so we have to have something else and i that's where i'm at it and that's my focus is where what is my compass and i i like the word compass because moral compass yeah yeah it's so close to the word compassion Mm. and there's Mm, only yeah I was writing it down the other day i was like you know i asked myself is my compass on and it's like is my compassion is it activated? Right. You know, because if I can use that as my north star, then um, I don't have to worry about laws so much. I mean, compassion is going to show you what's just. I think. Right. Yeah, and it's interesting. You you brought up our our, our history. You know, our ancestors. That that to me, you're right. It it just reveals immediately when we celebrate. We celebrate Cajun zydeco music. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my wife. I said, you know, we have Cajun festivals. We celebrate this stuff. But what's crazy is the same, the same people that are out celebrating and dancing to this music. And we're saying we love Cajun culture. Are some of the same voices that will say, those people belong, these people belong at the border. They don't need to come over here. We don't want their culture. The same people who are mad that we don't speak French anymore are upset with people for speaking Spanish. Right. And I, I'm envious. <laughs> you know, they have they have that connection to their culture that most of us just don't have. Yeah. You know, there's there's a certain like you can read about it, you can live in it, but without speaking the language, it's there's just something missing. Yeah. It just is. Uh we're told a lot of things about our culture, but I think a lot of us don't actually do our own research into it. Because there's quite a bit of scholarly work about it. In that conversation we were having with that guy that night. Yeah. I'm sorry, dude. I was dropping knowledge on you. Yeah. And you just didn't <laughs> want to hear it. He's That's like, right. He's like, you don't know anything about my history. I was like, actually, yeah, I do. Yeah. Because you know, I've take I've took the time years. I've been I've been interested in this since I was a kid. Uh. I mean, and then 
getting older and actually being able to understand. Yeah. Like, our ancestors didn't just like go, oh, it's cold in Nova Scotia, so we're yeah. going to go to Louisiana. Right, right. They bounced around the Atlantic seaboard for 30 years. You know, just being thrown here and thrown yeah, there. Cast out. You know, like, oh, we'll go back to France. France didn't want them. Right. You're not French. Right. You're not us anymore. You speak French, but you're not us. You know, and going from port to port and sitting in Boston Harbor and, you know, it's like ha- over half of the people who were expelled from Nova Scotia died yeah. in transit. That's right. Yeah. And you're not talking about like comfy situation. No, no they, they were in, they were in slave ships. They put them in, they used the same ships that brought slaves to the New World to ship the Acadians out. And I'm happy. You're driving down the road. Everything is going just fine. You're listening to the new episode of Find the Good News in Your Car, and you're all stoked about trying out this zipper merge thing you've been hearing about when all of a sudden you hear that sickening tap on your windshield that's just a little too loud. I've got some bad news for you. You've just got yourself a rock chip. Unfortunately, I've got some worse news. If you don't take care of that rock chip, it's going to turn into a crack. But I do have some good news too. You don't have to have a rock chip or a crack because I've got a way for you to take care of it ASAP. If you go to asapglassco.com right now, you can stop that chip from winding across your windshield like the Calcasieu River. I used to be terrible about getting a rock chip, saying I'll take care of that later, and then later turns into this irritating crack that just spreads from one side of my windshield to the other. I should have taken care of it ASAP by scheduling a repair with ASAP Glass. ASAP Glass is local, right here in Sulphur, Louisiana, and they're mobile. Even better, you can get a quote right from your mobile phone at asapglassco.com. ASAP Glass is owned and operated by two of my best friends, lifelong friends, Dan and Kayla Smith. Dan the Glass Man will make sure his team of glass technicians gets to your job ASAP and make sure it's done right so you can keep that windshield crack out of sight. If you do get that rock chip and you don't take care of it ASAP, that's okay. ASAP Glass does complete windshield replacements. Remember, ASAP Glass is mobile, so you don't have to worry about finding time to drop your vehicle off at their shop. You get your quote at asapglassco.com. Make your appointment with Kayla, and then before long, an ASAP Glass van is on its way to your location. That's it. I know you're probably looking at a rock chip right now. Don't wait. Take care of it ASAP. Go to asapglassco.com on your mobile device and get a quote. That's asapglassco.com. And make sure to tell Dan and Kayla you heard about ASAP Glass on Find the Good News. Yeah, Adley was saying that. He said, you know, you're talking about putting in, in infected blankets and things like that on the ships with them, you know, to, mm-hmm. to really just eradicate these folks. Yeah. We don't want you, your garbage, get out of here, mm-hmm. giving their land to somebody else. You know, it was common. And, and that's hard to hear, mm-hmm. you know, and we watch those same types of things happening, I don't know, now in other parts of the world. I mean, even, you know, like Syria. I mean, my gosh, you know, yeah. the, the whole, what a horror show, you know, but who wants everybody's like i don't want them i don't want them right well you know the acadians the only reason they were welcomed in louisiana was because the spanish wanted a buffer between their territory and british territory a human buffer yeah so they put 
French-speaking Catholics, they're like, okay, well, you're Catholic, so we're cool with you. Yeah, right, right. But you're not Spanish, so here, here you go. You guys go settle all the land that no man's land. Right. You know, where we are now. <laughs> right. You know? Um, so, I mean, the, the Acadians were tossed around and they were used. You know, they ended up in, uh, in parts of South America, you know, just like labor. Yeah. You know? A lost people. Yeah. You know? And now it's a culture we celebrate. Yeah. It's, it, and it's a testament that they were able to hold on to it. I think there's something to that whole idea of a uh, genetic memory. Yeah, no, I do too. You know, yeah. Like there's like, you'll find that a lot of uh, people of Acadian ancestry, Cajun culture, they don't like to leave home. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like we finally found a good place. Yeah. Like, you know, it's interesting, man. It kind of makes me think of my great grandfather, Emil Terrio. He, uh, I don't know. He was probably like my son with my dad. Mm-hmm. You know, he died when I was five years old. So I didn't, uh, really know him that well but i do have memories of him mm-hmm. and when i was an adult and i was really going through some spiritual things and i started looking at my own ancestry i was like you know he was a catholic and you know you would hear these stories about him walking eight nine miles to go to the little church here in mm-hmm. sulfur where he would walk to and or he would wait on the go walk down to one of the old dirt roads and a friend would pick him up so it was you're talking about a lot of work Mm-hmm. to go do this, to participate in this faith that he was a part of. And so for no other reason than that, I was curious because I said, you know, I'm, this wasn't passed on to me. He didn't pass it on to my grandmother. All I had were some of his belongings. So that's how I kind of knew. But then I had those few little stories and uh, I had went out to his grave in a little cemetery north of Sulphur. And I was wandering out there and I hadn't been out there since I was five years old, you know? And at the day of his funeral, that was the last time. Yeah. And I went out there and I was walking around and there was this old grave in the back that had a, a moss covered, um, Marion statue on top of it. And it caught my eye and it was his grave. And I went out there and sat out there and I thought, you know, I need to, there's value here that hasn't been transferred and maybe not the whole thing is for mm-hmm. me, but I still want to know what about it? made my great-grandfather what was he looking at what was he going what was he seeking yeah what 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 was that pillar that gave him something that he was willing to do all that stuff for and had this little medal that he had pinned to his uniform in world war one he was a doughboy mm-hmm. and uh it was all beat up and scratched and you couldn't even see the features on it but i still have it and i think about him like man he this was with him it was very important to him mm-hmm. it got him through a war it got him through the great depression he raised my grandmother by himself, you know, walking everywhere, you know, spoke French. Again, not passed on, but it's that DNA, man. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like when I go, I just felt it when I was touching those objects of his. I was like, there's some kind of residue here. Yeah. You know, in me. Yeah. That I want to know why. Right. You know, and it was enough to kind of spark some interest and a curiosity and a desire, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's why I, mean, I say all that to mean. That's why I can't look at this stranger at the border and go, hey, name my problem, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, sorry you was born in a crappy place. Sorry things are going bad in your country. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. You know, I just know as a father. Oh, man. There isn't anything I wouldn't do 
to put my children in the best possible situation that I could get them into. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I get when people say, well, there's a process. I know I understand that. And there, there needs to be a process for sure. But if, if your house was on fire and you went for help and the fire department said, okay, we got you. It's going to be seven to eight years. Right. Before we can process the paperwork. Right. You would take care of it yourself. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. They're just, they're obviously desperate. Everybody knows America's immigration policies. They know the laws and they're doing it anyway. They're trying to get over here anyway. Are there some bad people? Of course. There are bad people everywhere. And there's bad people here. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. You know? You know? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was working in Jennings when all of that, uh, Jeff Davis eight stuff was going on. Yeah. You know, like there were kids I taught whose siblings were some of the people who died. Really? Yeah. That's, a, you know, yeah, that's a possible serial killer right there in Jeff Davis parish. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what you going to do about him? Yeah. He's still out there. Yeah. Whoever. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But that's what it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that the, to, to cluster a whole group of people together and say they're bad or whatever dangerous evil that's just not the right way to be no we don't we can't we don't do that every day right in our day-to-day lives anyway i guess maybe some of us do and maybe sometimes we do i don't know i say that out loud and i realize that's maybe not fair i mean to some degree we go oh don't drive in that neighborhood mm-hmm. or right you know, that's a bad part of town something or, i try to think about especially at being a teacher is that everyone's experience is different not everybody's working with the same like we're not all starting from the same line you know everybody has just like you have a different nose than mine you have a different brain than mine and that's just the reality of it and there are some things that people just can't they don't have enough brain space to deal with that to think outside of what's going on in front of me right now yeah some people are just working yeah, and they're just surviving. They're man. just surviving. Right. They're just doing everything they can. And so when you're, I, I that's the problem that I have had. And look, I consider myself a liberal, but that's the problem I've had with the Democratic Party, is that there's been a whole subset of people that they've just been like, yeah, you know, I get it. Yeah, middle and lower class white people. They just kind of go, oh, you don't really have problems. Yeah, yeah, and you ignored them, and they voted against you. Right. Yeah, no, yeah, I get it. Because they do have problems. You're right. We all have problems, and we should be wanting to help everyone. Everyone. You know? And it's become, the older I get, the more I realize how I, 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 don't, I don't like to say I'm a Democrat. I just don't. I'm, yeah. I'm liberal, for sure. But I'm open-minded enough to say, like, well, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. It doesn't really matter which side of the aisle it comes from. Yeah, exactly. No, I get it. That's actually where I would classify myself as that sounds fair. It sounds just. Mm-hmm. It sounds right. Um, it's, and I have to – I've had to give myself markers. Like, are they in alignment with certain things that I already believe about other things? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, see, okay, so I – Buddhism is a big thing for me, and and I I use it a lot to make my decisions because I have to say sometimes I 
I can go, oh, I feel I have this high idea about this and I think I have all the information. And then I realize later that I'm going, I'm actually still poisoned by my, a lot of emotion. Yeah. You know, so my decision still is I think I feel good about it, but it's really just a lot of my emotions adding a lot of icing to mm-hmm. something. So when I can go to something like the Buddhist teachings that I've clung to for a long time that have worked, they, they act as a foundation for me to make a decision like mm-hmm. that. You know, so then I can go, well, OK, let me put it through this lens and then it helps me slow my slow me down right so then i can start to look at something okay now how do i feel about this through this lens mm-hmm. well i feel a little differently about it you know i think as a as a culture we don't look inward enough yeah no i agree we definitely don't uh because that's when you start to fix things inner work and outer work as this mm-hmm. podcaster i listened to he's a comedian but he, he made a comment one day he said you know i was left as a child to do my own inner construction you know, because his parents left, they didn't pay attention to him. They kind of left him out in the wild, so to speak. Yeah. And he said, now, now I'm a grown man, and I'm following some of these staircases I built, and they don't go anywhere. Mm, and I was yeah. like, dude. And he's like, it's just a bunch of shoddy construction inside. Yeah. And he's like, I'm having to tear down walls. I'm mm-hmm. having to rebuild rooms. He said, all this crap I built, yeah. it don't work because I was a kid. I didn't know. And that's what I know My whole world was built on that. And now I'm an adult going, oh, man, why, why am I going? Why do I keep mm-hmm. doing this? Yeah. Why do I think this way? What staircase walks off the edge of the house? You know, right. I built this when I was a kid. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. I loved that because I was like, man, that's kind of all of us, right? I mean, we got all this sort of... Uh, <laughs> people who didn't have permits to be building stuff inside of us were on there building things right yeah you yeah. know uh yeah that's a great way to think about it <laughs> i know i i didn't do well in college the first time around because i had some bad foundations from when i was in high school i didn't have to do anything in high school i had i graduated with like a 3.9 and i don't know if i ever studied for anything you just, you just were good at it. i was just good at it <laughs> you know i played i played music and i took my tests and whatever you know like i fell asleep during the act and i still made a 26 27 yeah. it was 27 i wish yeah. my, my son probably would listen to this and be like how can i do that because he has to work for every little point he makes well do really good on all the other parts because i didn't do good on the part i fell asleep in uh, you know and so when i got to college it was like oh yeah this is i'm just gonna do music and i'm just and no you gotta work yeah because yeah, i'm actually back in school wow. right now yeah. really uh, I'm getting certified as a music teacher, so I'm taking a few undergrad oh, courses. Oh, right on. And courses I, I took back then, the first time around, and I didn't do well in. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm taking classes, and I'm like, I should have just done this the first time. Like, no, I'm just, man. like, going through it. I'm just, like, knocking it down. I'm like, this is... What does that say to you, too? I mean, think of... I'm listening to you say that, and I go, isn't that awesome? And it starts to really tell you who you are, because you've been through all this stuff. You've made some decisions. you got a trajectory. And now you're going, okay, I'm going to go tighten this up, mm-hmm. right? And, and what you choose to go tighten up tells a lot about what your true right. passion is. Well, I have an amazing opportunity with the school. A lot of people passed on that job because it's a part-time job. It's not a full-time position. Yeah yet gotcha the high school is opening in fall of 2020 and then it will be a full-time position i'll be at the middle school and the high school both campuses uh and 
I basically had the opportunity to create a band program and set it up to be successful for the next couple of decades. Wow, man. Yeah. That's the yeah. foundation you're yeah. setting. That's yeah. awesome. So when that, when that was coming down the line, they're like, this is going to happen. It was like, okay, I don't want to just wing it. I want to do it to the best of my ability. Yeah. I want to have all the tools in the box, walk in prepared. I don't want, I mean, there are going to be things that are going to surprise me always. Even the most prepared educator is surprised by something every day. Sure. But I want to be surprised by things that should surprise me and not by things that I should have already known what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why the opportunity came and EDS is helping me with that paying for me helping me pay for that to go to school you know, continuing education yeah man that's great though. you know they're investing in me yeah so i'm investing in them that's actually really awesome so many people i bet would love to have something like that yeah where go, man they see they see what i'm doing i like it here and then they're just a synergy forms and you'll start to really you mm-hmm. know become yeah. one thing i mean you, know, you're, you're, you see a lot of uh public school teachers even private school teachers not necessarily public school but you know they're just kind of they get jaded sure. after a while. I'm, I've been in that. I've worked that job. Not a teaching job, but I've worked that job where I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just here for the money. You know, I would say this is this can be like that. I mean, I know we we kind of run our own thing, but it can be like that because you get a um, you get into contracts, you get in a set of clients and they become your clients for many years. You don't have a lot of control over what the client culture is. Right. You know, they have their own culture. Mm-hmm. And you may have a totally different culture, but as an extension of their team, it, it leaks in from the outside, you know? Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, you know, putting some fish in the fridge with some fruit and you go to eat that apple and you taste, you know, cod or whatever. Uh, yeah. It's kind of like, well, it's an apple, but they're still got that Man, cod, fishy, yeah. fishy skin. That would be the best way for me to describe our business. You know, we're sort of plugging into all these different group cultures and really my job i'm the one who interfaces the most and i uh, have to bring that culture back process it and kind of plug it back in over here Mm -hmm. but as a people watcher and observer and being around that a lot of years you know you, you begin to see uh that it not you're with a client for so long and you go man that culture just really doesn't plug in well with who we are we can do the work and we do good work with you but that uh it isn't really the best op- best scenario right right you know so changing that is difficult mm-hmm. it, you know you get in uh you get in a pattern and it's like okay what would need to change for it to be better for the long haul mm-hmm. so you don't drive the wheels off of the thing you know but right. you're in a situation where that is working mm-hmm. you know those two things oh i'm i'm so fortunate i mean i wake up every day i'm just like <sighs> Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> to gratitude, whatever yeah. made this happen. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, when I tell other teachers what what's going on, they're like, "Man, you better never leave." And I'm like, "I'm not going." Here. Yeah, I like it here. Yeah, <laughs> I like this. this. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. I have some friends who are teachers, and my sister's a teacher, and you know, she goes through a lot of what you've said. The same thing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it isn't like that everywhere, you no, know. It's definitely not. You know, and you, and you can kind of see it. I mean, I kind of, I really do feel sorry in a, in a way for a lot of educators because my son tells me stuff. You know, he pretty. I think he's a pretty, a pretty attentive kid. He pays attention, and 
we have some similar traits in that regard and, and he probably overthinks things a lot like me but when he shares things with me i can almost peg it like this teacher has sort of uh, accepted defeat yeah does that make sense and i don't know yeah. how else to say it it's yeah unfortunate that <clears throat> where i work the environment is just great yeah you know we have some advantages we're a small school the class sizes are small yeah it's a family yeah you know we we have we start pre-k at age two so my oldest daughter has been going to school there since i've started working there that's awesome man. yeah yeah I get to see her every day, even the days when she's not with me and she's with her mom half the week. I still see her every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's not something that happens everywhere. No. I can literally just walk right down the hall. We can win. Oh, she's she's napping. All right, cool. I'll yeah. Back out. You know, and it's it's fine. You know, I'll go have lunch with her if I want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. And like all of my students, my middle school students know who she is. Because I think there's maybe like a little over 300 kids in the entire school from pre-K two through eighth grade. Yeah, everyone knows each other. All the parents know each other. You know, it's a it's a cool, it's just a family vibe. You walk in, you're just like, yeah, it's, it's cool. There must be something different about teaching music to to kids because you and Mickey Smith. Uh, he was on the show, and I'm hearing a lot of the same. Mickey and I went to school together. Did you? Yeah, okay. we were at McNeese at the same time. And oh, actually, okay. that band I was in with Brian, yeah. Mickey was in that band as well. Oh, right the on. The Groove okay. Knights. The Groove Knights. I remember the Groove Knights. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was me and Brian. Okay, right on. Ray and Mickey and Stratton, David. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. That's wild, man. But y'all have the sim- a similar uh, attitude about the whole thing. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, if I was sitting across from. Um, a high school geometry teacher would i have the same well we are different as music teachers because we are uh multi-year teachers yeah. oh yeah you're great yeah. the kids are with you yeah. i mean so let's just say i get kid. i start teaching kids in fifth grade now that we're going to have a high school i could potentially have a kid from fifth grade from age 10 to yeah, 18. Yeah, so you're in a mentor role. Yes. That's a totally different thing. In a way that's different than a geometry teacher yeah, or English teacher. Yeah, I get teacher. that. That's you right. Know, they teach them for a year, and then they move on to the next thing. Yeah. But I'm there the whole time. I'm watching them grow. I can share things with their current teachers when they're having problems. Oh, well, he's kind of like this. Yeah. She's like that. Right. You, you know? can get a better pulse on the kid. You right. can know what's going on in their right. life. And you're more invested in them. Yeah, I get that. That makes yeah. sense. It's interesting because last week on the show, I didn't realize we were going to be talking about education so much. Weird how themes just kind of blend together. But my high school speech teacher was here last week on the show. And it was really a treat for me. But I, that word mentor, I mean, that's what she was. I mm-hmm. still, to this day, utilize in a very tangible, workable way, things that I learned in that class mm-hmm. because she was just that kind of teacher. But I had her for two two years because there was speech one and speech mm-hmm. two. And now, granted, that's not the same long term that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, And then we had ec- extracurricular activities like theater, spring production, mm-hmm. comp- uh, debate competitions. There was a lot of opportunity for her to be with us right. outside of school, too. So there was just a different relationship. You, you, you end up building a rapport with those kids. Teaching the humanities is, uh, is special because I actually, it's funny. I was up late last night writing my philosophy of music education paper. Ah, so like a lot yeah. of these things I, I was, it's right there, right man. There. It's like, yeah, yeah fresh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
you know, the things we teach are what make humans human. You know, that's why they're called the humanities. humanities. You know, that's the yeah. operative word there. Uh, you can teach a computer how to calculate something. You know, you can even put program there. They've programmed computers to uh, compose music in a, in a, like, you know, they'll just kind of feed all of Beethoven's music into this computer. Yeah, and it learns the, it sees the yeah. patterns. Cause a lot of what Beethoven did was mathematical. A lot of, there's a lot of that there and it'll come out and create something that's like, yeah, that's like Beethoven, but it's not. Yeah. It's created by a machine. You can tell. There's creativity, I think, in the the workforce of the future is got to be at the forefront because there's so many of those jobs that we're going to start losing over the next few decades to automation, AI and stuff. And uh, we need to be able to have people who are creative to be able to work with those things. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's coming down the pipeline. It just is. Yeah. It's not here yet, but no, I think you're right. I mean, I, you know, you read these websites that that have like all the statistics about the disappearing jobs, where mm-hmm. the first jobs to go, and uh, even our job. I mean, the software we use for design, Adobe, that company, you know, they're developing right now uh, AI, implementing it into the software to where it would potentially do a lot of the job. And, right. and you know, I think if we don't value design and creativity then and we're willing to accept it well i just need something and i hear i see that a lot even Mm -hmm. in our industry where someone says look well let me back up and see if i can explain this right so someone hires us and they say hey i need a brand for my business right and you go okay well and you i I do the math how many hours is it going to take you know we're going to have some meetings we're going to do some sketching we'll run through a few designs well we're trying to make the best brand possible the the element that's special in there is us as human beings interacting with that client but what's happened in our industry is that less and less do people care as much about that human interaction they're like well i can go online and just say hey i'm opening um a donut shop i mean (laughs) that's what i picked Mm -hmm. a donut shop and i'm opening in a week i need a logo they don't want a human interaction they just want something that they can stick on something and you can get that for a hundred bucks you know, and you go, well, the seeking out clients that actually don't want that, that don't want to just have, hey, this is as good as that. Mm-hmm. You know, they want the human interaction. They want to have a team. They want to be able to brainstorm with you and be involved in the process. You can't get that from AI. Right. But it's, I am seeing that get thinner and thinner. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the seeking out of... Uh, the human interaction people i mean even like something like a uh, food delivery services i mean i i don't use them but i can see that even that sentiment is sort of there it's like well i don't want to have to go <laughs> i don't yeah. want to have to go do be be around people and get in line with people you know and, and hear other people i just want to be able to press this get the thing and never right you know it's creating this sort of sanitized Life. Yeah. I mean, it's been said before, but we're more connected now than ever and we're more separate than we've ever been. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. Well, uh, 
sounds like to me though the value in what you're doing is is the connection and it mm-hmm. is being there i mean no ai is gonna be able to do what you're gonna do no. they could pass information on mm-hmm. you know yeah but and I, I, technology is incredible it's a wonderful tool for music you know um we have these two instruments called mallet stations, which are uh, like marimbas. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they're synthesizers. They're MIDI controllers. Yeah. Okay. So it's just laid out in like a three octave pad. Hook it up to your MacBook or iPad or whatever, and you can make it sound like any instrument you want. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, they just came out. I got a grant. I applied for a grant with the Junior League. Thank you, Junior League, and I got it. And uh, I bought two of them for EDS. And so these, I mean, you know, you show like a little bell kit to a kid and they're like, that's kind of lame. <laughs> and they, don't, they don't really get into it, you know? Yeah. But you show them this thing and you're like, all right, we're going to set this to synthesizer. You know, we're going to play the theme to Stranger Things. And the kids are like, What? I'm like yeah, go ahead and play, and it starts doing all the stuff, and they're like, oh, oh man! Away. So like we're practicing scales, and I I just set it to different sounds, and I'm like, all right, but and they're just playing their scales, yeah. But they're they're really getting after it because they're like, this sounds really cool. Yeah, it adds that level of professionalism that mm-hmm. they're like used to hearing. And yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I run it through the PA system. Yeah, loud, big. You know, that's not something that they were. Get, I mean, they're in fifth grade and they're getting to experience it. Yeah. You know, they're, I'm hooking them. Yeah. You know, uh, that's something that wasn't available 20 years ago. Yeah. It's interesting. It, it, I keep bringing my conversations with my kid up, but yesterday we were uh, listening to, after one on our way back from plant shopping, we were listening to the Back to the Future soundtrack and the uh, song Sandman came on. Mm-hmm. And my son was like, man. There's like no instruments in this song. And like, well, there's like a drum and a guitar, but that's it. And he was like, that's all their voices. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you know, it's so different than today. Like you can become like a pop musician and like, there's all this stuff that happens to the beat that's <laughs> yeah. done to the voice, you yeah. know? And he's like, I guess I never really thought about like back then they just kind of harmonize and that they were doing all the sounds. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I said, there's definitely a level of um, humanity in that that's missing from a lot of things that yeah. you hear now. It's like cool to have all that stuff, but there's something really special about that. It's funny. Uh, I remember I mentioned to you about an ideas for having a podcast of my yeah, own. Yeah. I was hoping you would bring that up. Yeah. Talking about music. I ha- I've had this idea for a while and I wanted to call it country music songs that don't suck <laughs> <laughs> because so I feel like more like the last 25 years or so I would call like the, the modern era of country music. Yeah. There have been some pretty terrible pieces of art put out there. And look, art is subjective. Like, obviously, there are people that like a lot of that stuff. But there are some things I just feel are not objective. And sometimes a song is just bad. Yeah. But sometimes a song is good. And it doesn't matter what genre it is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot. So that's the era I grew up listening to because my uncle was writing music in that era. You know, (laughs) I got to hear stories about country music artists and their processes and songwriters and stuff right. like that. He learned to write from a, a famous songwriter named Harlan Howard. Okay. And uh, Harlan Howard, is, he's attributed this quote and he says, uh, a song has four things, 
three chords and the truth. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it's just like just, you're like, <laughs> of course, yeah. But that's that's who my uncle learned to write music from. He just kind of like followed him around Nashville and like like apprenticed with him, I guess, in a way. Um, and so my uncle's best songs were always songs that were like that. Ah, okay. pretty simple and musical like composition mm-hmm. but the lyrical content was something real was always based in reality yeah you know uh so I, yeah i i kind of want to like go and like cultivate like over the like last 20 years of country music like that song is a good song it wouldn't matter if it was a released as a pop song a rock song yeah it's just good yeah yeah, because there there are some gems out there that are great songs that for whatever reason just didn't get a lot of traction. Yeah, you know, like it was like a one hit wonder or something like that. Yeah, but it's great. It's a great song. Yeah, you know. No, I hear you. My, it's I, I'm I grew up kind of in an older generation of country too. I mean, what my dad listened to and what my mom listened to was what I still listen to today, mm-hmm. and I find that a lot actually. Uh, my son and asked me that he goes you don't really listen to a lot of new stuff i said yeah i have a harder time finding new stuff that really hits me the way that older stuff does but um you know grew up on johnny cash jim Mm -hmm. reeves stuff like that so for me that's kind of the country music that i i think of when someone says country that's what where i go Uh, i find it almost unrecognizable in what is considered i guess country when i turn on the radio a lot of what you hear now, we've gotten away from the singer-songwriter aspect of country. Now it's like there are teams that write songs and then they match it to an artist. Yeah, okay. That's it's an right. image. It's an image. That's right. They're peddling songs. That's yes. right. You hear that a lot. What was yes. it? What's, um, oh gosh, what's her name? She's in, she ended up being a, quite a musician or an artist herself. God, man, I'm going to draw a blank. But she was a songwriter for a long time and, and was one of her songs. Uh, nobody wanted it. And so she was like, well, I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. See ya. Yeah. 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 And then it was like, she was like, well, I'll just do it. She did it. And it's like, she just blew up. Mm-hmm. Now she's, you know, her own. Right. But yeah, I didn't realize that for a long time. I was ignorant to that, that people are out there peddling songs. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd heard a, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about what's, what's the song off of, uh, the breakfast club. Uh, don't you forget about uh-huh. me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I can't, I'm drawing a blank on who sings who ended up singing that, but I was, uh, watching one of those Spotify stories. Have you noticed that? So it was like, they had the little stories on Spotify and it was talking about that song and they said that it was being peddled and they had put it to everybody and, uh, they thought that they were going to sell it to Billy Idol. Mm-hmm. Billy Idol was like, I'm not interested in that. Ends up being this huge hit, you know. And then for me again, I was like, man, this has been going on a long time. I had no clue that people were just out there writing songs, trying mm-hmm. to peddle them to. That's that's how my uncle made his yeah. living. That's wild. Yeah, man. He's, I think he says he's written over a thousand songs. That's what's wild. Yeah, I think he's had like eighty recorded. That's something and like produced and put yeah. out there. I had no clue. Yeah, it's, it seems to be fairly common. And it's a different game now. Uh, songwriters and record producers don't make as much money as they used to because album sales just aren't what they used to be. Sure. Well, you got too many other ways to get the music. Exactly. Uh, you know, he made way more money in the early nineties off of a song than he would now. Yeah. Just cause someone doesn't have to buy an album anymore. No. Just buy one song. It's easy. And a single today costs the same as it did in the nineties. It's a weird, it's weird how music has done that. It, it does that with the performative music as well. Generally today, like a hundred dollars a man is like pretty much like the going rate for playing music. Really? 
that's what it was in the 80s nothing's changed not much Mm-mm. Yeah, I was talking to uh, like Ben Von Duke. He was on the show, and one of the things that was interesting is uh, his bands uh, really kind of got a line in the sand of just when they perform, it's all original stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal to him, and you know mm-hmm. he he was pretty hardlined about it. I mean, he was just like, we're just not going to do covers, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, we could probably do have like you know go play Scanner and go play all these hits. He said, and make a lot of money, you know, mm-hmm. going to play events. He said, but it, it's just not what we're gonna do. Yeah, you know? same here. Yeah, yeah, I just won't do that stuff. Uh, well, with the Cajun music stuff, I'll play stuff that everyone knows because that's more of a, it's a niche market. You yeah, know, it's a cultural thing. Like these are traditional songs. We play those songs. Like, uh, so I play with uh, Britney Fonts. Okay. And the sauce. That's like the sauce is like the band of Britney's. Uh, I got you. Yes. Yeah. So we do. It's her original stuff. And we do covers as well, but they're not the covers that people would expect to hear. It's just like, I like this song, so we're going to play it. And yeah. it's obscure, and they'll probably think we wrote it because yeah. they haven't heard it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the kind of stuff we'll we'll do. Don't you like that, though, man? I love it. Whenever you, yeah. uh, you ever go listen to a band, and then they're doing, then they, they break out a cover of something from like a, a obscure B-side, and you're like... And you're kind of looking around the crowd, going, "Hey, this is that song I like." Yeah. And you look around, and like everybody's going, "What the heck is this?" Yeah. But it, you, you get that kind of connection for uh-huh. a second. It happens to me sometimes with the police because when I was in high school, uh, I don't remember what I, how I got into listening to the police, but there was something, some song, you know, you'd heard the hits, of course, but uh, there somebody was playing something somewhere. Anyway, I was like, "What is that?" And they're like, "That's the police." Well, their big box set had just come out, "Message in a Box," and so I was like, "Oh man, I remember going to the mall." It's expensive. I saved my money. Had all those DVD CDs in there. And dude, I listened to that doggone box set two pieces. And then now, every once in a while, I'll hear somebody play, you know, like Canary in a Coal Mine. Mm, yeah, yeah. Something just obscure that's not really wasn't one of their bigger hits. Yeah. It's just cool. It's cool to, you know, yeah. you can tell that band, they had that, somebody in that band was like, hey, I like, the, I like this song. We're just going to mm-hmm. play it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And I'm happy. I know it. This episode's Fishing for Goodies Fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city. But if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. 
On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. So, dude, do you know about the fishbowl? No. Okay. Oh, really? Oh, this will be fun. Okay, so the fishbowl is full of questions that I've put in there, that people who listen to the show have put in there. And then there's some cards in there too that have like some what ifs or mm -hmm. what have you. So every guest draws three items out of there and then you read them and then we talk about them. Okay. So it's kind of a mystery fortune cookie type cool. thing. So anyway, you can draw your first question. Like I said, there's cards, there's all kinds of stuff in there. You can pull whatever you want out. What is legal that you think should be illegal? Um, it's like the opposite of what we usually ask. Yeah. We usually want to know what should be legal. That's illegal. Yeah. Hmm. That's a tough one. I know. <laughs> yeah. So what is legal that you think should be illegal? Man, I don't know how to go with this one because I, I kind of err on this <clears throat> the side of like more things should be legal. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of a lot of Trust. our problems are because there are minor things that we hold people accountable for that just don't make sense. I actually agree. That's that's a hard question for me too, because I, I always answer it takes a lot to explain, but my thing is you and I've said this to my wife a hundred times, I said, I don't care what you make illegal, it won't matter or stick until people have it inside them you can make a law you can make something illegal but we're going to keep doing the thing mm -hmm. it'll just be illegal yeah it isn't changing yeah. you know and somebody somebody told me one time said, well that's not true you know you know we have lots of laws and they were just going through some of these examples and, and one of them was like you know speed limits i said but it doesn't matter people still don't follow people the speed, speed limit yeah. people still don't use turn signals people still you know there's all you can go down that any of those mm-hmm See, I'm with you on that. That's a hard one. Yeah, I mean, there are laws against murder, but people murder Still people murder. every day. Yeah, mm. and if it weren't, you know, if it was, what's the movie? That, it's not like it's purge. a hidden law. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know that was illegal. <laughs> right. You know, they know. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. That's a tough one. I agree. I don't have a working knowledge of every law either. I mean, it's very difficult to go. Because you see those uh, posts from time to time where it's like, here's some weird laws that are on the books that mm -hmm. you may not know about that are old or ancient. Right, you know, right. A bygone era. I think in some states, I think cockfighting might still be illegal, and that should be illegal. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would say any. <clears throat> it was legal in Louisiana until just a few years ago. That's right. Yeah. Well, you'd see all those uh, when you're driving out to like. Well, I have a, stuff. a neighbor who raises fighting roosters still. Really? Like he has a bunch of them, and like sometimes like my dog will like bark at him, and he'll get mad at me. Say he's gonna call the cops. I'm like, really? You're gonna call the cops on me, dude? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my dog harassing your illegal fighting rooster yeah <laughs> thing you got going on over here man uh-huh. like, come on dude i think that that kind of get tiptoes into something i guess as a general rule any law that allows violence of any kind yeah. on another i think i think anything like that yeah. should possibly be on something that has no say so in the matter yeah you know, like if people want to fight you want to you be a fight I, I enjoy watching professional fighting that's fine that's two people being like yeah I'm I'm a professional. Pay me. I'm gonna put on a show. It's fine. But yeah, but animals and stuff like no. Yeah, no, I agree. I was listening to a podcast about this this woman. Um, she's a Zen Buddhist teacher, and she was talking about what actually had changed her. What what really was her first big memory? What opened her compassion up? And she was um, with somebody somewhere and they were at an animal te- a laboratory where they're doing animal testing and there was these little monkeys and she said, you know, they'd sawed like its head off the top of its skull and all these electrodes in its brain and she said, you know, it was chained to this cage and she said when she just saw it, looked in its eyes she just fell to the floor, you know and she was like, I couldn't comprehend that I was a member that's of the species that had that did does this. Yeah. And she said, I just, for her, it was like a big opening. It like really just changed her. And Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I get that. I've had some moments like that. And so that kind of thing. Yeah. To me, if we're going to make a law, then, Hey, you know, that's, that's where it needs to be is in those categories. That's I like that animal, animal cruelty. Yeah. Animal testing, like they shouldn't do that. Yeah, we can, we can. I think we we ought to be moving past. We're that smart enough, point. I think. Yeah. To figure some. Oh stuff well, out. most of the things that we're testing on those creatures anyway are luxuries. They're just right. vanity things. Right. And that to me, just you know, and I know that's not a hundred percent true. I'm somebody can defeat that. I'm just making a blanket statement. But yeah, yeah, cruelty of any kind. Mm-hmm. Let's get rid of it. Yeah. Right on. Cool. I don't know if we answered it, but we got somewhere with yeah. it. <laughs> Something. Yeah. Are you a pacifist? Hmm. No. Oh. I'm not a pacifist. Okay. Uh, I've had to defend myself several times in my life. I was a bartender for a long time. Yeah. I've had to, you know, I've I've had to knock a couple people out, carry people out the bar. It's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't think violence should ever be the first response or the first jump to like, oh, that I'm just going to hit this guy. Uh, yeah. Because uh, you're not a chest bumper like immediately right, going no, into like, like not at all. You want some of this? Because that, that always things situations like that escalate. Mm. And if your first reaction is violence, it's only going to get worse from there. I agree. Yeah. You know, if you can start at a point where. Hey man, calm down, dude. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, you know, all right, man. Hey, well, use it. Maybe you shouldn't have any more drinks, man. It's just calm down, you know. You're you're kind of letting them know, you're giving them the vibe. Like, I I just want to make sure you're okay. This is about you and everyone else in here. Just be safe. Start that way. And then if it does go up from there, 
then the next you know the next step usually isn't something violent mm-hmm. yeah but yeah if you start right away like a guy does something and you're like you push him that nothing good is going to come of that yeah yeah that's kind of how it is online sometimes yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, well i i, I don't mm, i don't want to say i don't I try not to get involved in things that I look like they're going to go be volatile. Mm-hmm. Even like that conversation we were in, you could yeah. you could tell that the other person just sort of had a solidified yeah. encampment. It wasn't nothing we were going to say was going to change right, that. Right. It already foxholed, you know. But uh, you can kind of see when things are going to get out of hand and, and blow up, and sometimes they do. And even if you aren't trying to, but. Uh, yeah, out in the out in the the living breathing world, I definitely agree. I think you have to defend yourself. I yes. think you should have you you do have to defend. I don't necessarily believe for me in um arming up though like expecting a fight. Right. You know, I think that that can be overdone. I think in a way I think we kind of almost see that even in our country. If you go out looking for it, you're going to find it. Yeah, it's self-perpetuating. Yes. It's like you're building the reality. It's like, yes. well, we got all these weapons, you know, we kind of need to use them now. So right. you're like looking for a fight. I think we even see that and this might be again touchy for some folks, but I mean, if you really do read the news, I think we see that even in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, getting all these cool toys. I mean, gotta use them things. It'd be nice right. to be I mean, we got this battering ram. It'd be nice to go knock somebody's door down with the thing every mm-hmm. once in a while. We got these flashbangs. It'd be nice to be able to throw one in a house every right, once in a right. while. We got these. You see what I mean? And I'm not saying that's always the way it is, but I, when you see a story like that, where you know there's a court order, you know, and, and they sign in the middle of the night, and these no knock things where they go in people's homes mm-hmm. and just blow in there like it's World War Three. And you're going, that is like full-blown military coming in your yeah. home. And then come to find out, uh, I was the wrong house. Or, yeah. well, that, that tip was no good. This isn't accurate. That, to me, I think we've kind of moved into that zone of like, well, we got the gear. We need to use it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're prepared for this. We're amped up on it. And I think it's seductive, man. Mm-hmm. You know? And that goes back to the turning inward and trying to figure out why we feel the way we feel about certain things. Yeah. You know, I am totally on board with the phrase, make America great again. Oh, yeah. It's not a bad phrase. <clears throat> no, it's awesome. Yeah. But what do we, what, what is great? And mean? I think part of that is holding ourselves accountable for things because mm. that's the only way to improve. If you just think like, I'm perfect, whatever changes. Right. Nothing. Right. I agree with that, mm. man. That is a good thing to bring up. That slogan in and of itself, make America great again. You're right. I mean, if you really sit and think of that, I'll take it take it completely off of the context of the way it's being presented to us today. If you heard that and it was like, well, and really dive into it, what does that mean? What 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 made us great? If you only go into um look at it from an economic standpoint or production standpoint, or if you're talking about the heyday of, you know, post-World War II industry, all of that kind of stuff. And I think that might be where it's getting wrapped up in. Mm-hmm. There's so many other things that were wonderful about this country that, that do make us great. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we might be, it's getting overshadowed. Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice if we could take that saying back. Yeah. Make it mean well, something different. To know? me, like, <clears throat> I, I want that. I want America to be great again. So why shouldn't I want things to be better? Mm. 
Now, I think everyone feels that way. Just everybody has different ideas about what should be better mm-hmm. or what better means. Yeah. Is better for some people isn't better for other people. Right. You know, it's a it's a crazy situation where we have a you know, we have what, three hundred and forty million people that live in America? That's a lot of people. Yeah. You know, in a lot of different circumstances. A lot I mean, if you look at it, each state is basically a country. Yeah. They have their own unique situations like cultural norms in South Louisiana are not gonna fly in New York and vice versa. You know, it's just different. Like I had a friend from California that was just amazed at how we drove everywhere. Mm, yeah. She was from San Francisco. She was like, You guys drive everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, You don't? She's like, No. She's like, I don't even own a car. Most of my friends don't own cars. Right. And we just public transport, we carpool, you know, it's like None oh, of man. us like like five people going to the same place. We all drive our own car. Yeah, well, part. I mean, really, you're right. I mean, you can look just around here and go everything. I, and I have a thing with lines and being jammed up. It just kind of bugs me. <laughs> Probably more than bugs me. But uh, those are thoughts I have. Like, how many people are going to be there? How's the parking? How's the parking? It's constantly in my head. Like, mm-hmm. is it going to be hard to park? It's going to be hard to park. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how much that ping pong mm-hmm. ball's rattling around yeah. there. And you're right. It's like we're not built around it. Mm-hmm. We don't build for it. If anything, our vehicles <laughs> get bigger yeah. down here. I mean, yeah. I'm guilty. My truck's way too big. I, I That's parking again. I go, where am I going to park this thing? Mm-hmm. Am I even going? Yeah. Sometimes I think that thought, well, I guess I can't go. I have nowhere to park. I guess with all of that, I would, I would – say that i think everyone has the best interest of us in mind it's just we aren't all on the same page as to what that is yeah well and you know you said something earlier in our talk about a lot of us are just surviving too Mm -hmm. you know and i mean there are some really great voices out in our community and asked that are giving us good information and really motivating us to make some changes but it's hard to ask somebody who's just struggling to yeah. put and working 60, 70 hours a week at a, a job that maybe doesn't even pay that great, single parent household, whatever it may be, all these different factors, right. and asking them to go, you need to stop doing this and stop doing that and mm-hmm. make this change. Well, like it's expensive. It really does, and they can't do it. Mm-hmm. And they're just trying to just trying give to their kids a. Yeah. Or even themselves. I mean, heck, who knows what the situation is. Right. Yeah, right. it's tough, man. It's just very kaleidoscopic. It's like, you know. Empathy. You just got to have more empathy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's good. Mm-hmm. All right, you got one more question. All right. Has someone given you a last chance and for what? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, so my mentor in uh, now I would call him my mentor now. His name's uh, Dr. Lonnie Benoit. He's the head of the music department at McNeese. Okay, and uh, he he came to the school as a, as a just a professor of percussion studies. He was like twenty nine years old when he first got there. This is two thousand four, maybe. Uh and so I mean not much older than us really and he and I became friends and he kind of became my mentor and like even through all that like 
I wasn't doing that well in school. I was kind of messing around, blah, 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 all that stuff. Uh, he's part of the reason why I'm back in school now. Really? I said, we're still, we're best friends. We watch every Saints game together. And that's our thing. Uh, you know, like whenever I was doing chemo, the one day of the week I got out of the house was to go to his house on Sundays to watch the <laughs> wow, Saints game okay. with him and my, my friends. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like when the Saints won the Super Bowl, we're all crying. I was the only person who wasn't drinking because I was doing chemo, so I couldn't drink, but I was still crying. <laughs> you know, it, was, it, was, it was a cool moment. Um, and, you know, with all this stuff with the new high school coming around and stuff, he was like, hey, man, look, if you don't do this, if you don't come back to school and get this certification, like someone's going to try and take your job. Hmm. Yeah, they're going to come along and they're going to say, I have all the credentials. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, and they're going to try and convince somebody on that board or whatever to try and take your job. He's like, maybe they won't Maybe they won't be successful, but you have to do this now. And I can help you now. He's now in the, he's the head of the department. He can help me. He's like, but you have to do it now. And if you don't do this now, that's it. Yeah. You know, I don't think I can help you anymore. So I was like, well, saddle up. Yeah. That's interesting. I like the way you framed that because a lot of times when you think of last chances, it's like you've done something wrong mm-hmm. and I'm giving you one more chance and then that's it. I'm cutting you off. That's like one way to look at that question. But I like what you did there. Somebody actually kind of preemptively gave you a piece of advice mm-hmm. it's different it's more positive it's not yeah. a, it's not a punishment or a um you've done the, i don't know i guess i just i i, I framed that differently and mm-hmm. what you just shared to me i like that yeah it's like saying hey you got you need to do this it's mm-hmm. more it's motivating yeah yeah that's yeah. how it felt i was yeah. like what he was telling me was wait a minute you're an adult you're a 35 year old grown man two kids you're a business owner and you're a teacher and i still think you can do this with as busy as you are you can do it yeah and i was like yeah if he thinks i can do it then i can do it because he's been around it and he's willing to help you he's willing to help me god think about how many times he's putting himself out there yeah well so easy to tell people you need to change you need to do this you need to do that and then go home Mm-hmm. But when some man, how nice is that? When somebody's like, "Hey, you need to do this," and I'm going to help you. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to help build. I'm going to give you a hand, and I'll be here for you. They're not just sitting over there giving you advice and then going to bed. Right. That's awesome, man. Yeah, he's never been that guy. He's always put himself out there, and I like that. Actually, that makes me really self-reflect on some things and go, you know, I, I know I'm guilty of that, telling somebody, man, you really need to do this. And I'm going, all right, I'm going to check out now. Mm-hmm. See you later. Mm-hmm. You know, but to actually say, I'm going to walk it. Well, it came up on another episode, the word accompaniment. I'm going to accompany you mm-hmm. on your journey. I'm going to be there. I'm not going to do it for you, but I'll be there to help you. I mean, and that, support you. that, that relates back to music because a lot of times you have an accompanist. Oh, there you go. Mispronounced that terribly, but no, I get Uh, what you're saying. Yeah, you know, you have someone who's playing. Like, it's usually your teacher who plays accompaniment. Yeah, while you perform your solos or whatever. Oh, yeah, they're built. They're they're there as a foundation. You're still the star Mm -hmm. of the show. You're still front center. 
Yeah. How, how much value is that? And in a way, like you said, I mean, being a teacher, that's what you're, that's where you want to get, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to where you watch each of your students right. get to that stage where all they need is just accompaniment, you mm-hmm. know? And then they can become somebody who can accompany somebody else. Well, that sounds beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, if everything we could do in life would be like that. Yeah. You know, I think all that takes is just getting out of me. Like, what's happening to me and this is about me and i am the center of my solar system and it's all about what i want and who i am and how does this affect what i'm doing and all those words i keep saying i've got tried to get to where i watch how many times a day do i say i Mm. how many times a day do i say me and then look at the occurrences of when i do what's the context is it bad did i go well you know then they told me this and then i thought and i said and you know most of the time it's in some sort of i'd say a lightly negative context when i get out of that i can accompany somebody because then it's like well i'm doing this right you know it's not me anymore it's you i've been trying i've been working on trying to be more present in the lives of the people that i'm around uh for a couple of weeks now, I've gotten where I I took, I took the Facebook app off my phone. Yeah. And so if I want to check Facebook, got to be at a computer. I have to be at a computer, or I have to you know download the app and do all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm a really busy guy, so unless I actually actually have time to do that, I'm not going to. Yeah. So I mean, I'm ashamed to say how much more productive I've been in the last couple of no, weeks. I get I'm just it. like, yeah. Just doing this stuff. Like when I'm hanging out with my girlfriend who I love dearly, I just want to be there for her all the time. Yeah. You know, like like we're together right now. We're getting the most out of this, you know, whether I, we're just watching TV or going out to dinner. Like I don't want to think about my phone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do. Well, it is, it is. Like I'm a business owner. Like I do need to check my phone and stuff, but I've found ways to be able to, I can handle my business stuff, so the social media side, without having to dive into the personal social media stuff. Right. You know, and, uh, and that has helped me a lot. Just freed up brain stress. Yeah. You don't realize how you know you're scrolling through and you're just you're getting all these different stories. You're just like, oh man, it's just stressful. Yep. You said it, dude. That's the whole. That is literally what. <laughs> The motivation for the show has been as the biggest motivator is if I'm going to be online, then I don't want to be putting anything out there that isn't helpful or good anymore. Right. I don't want to do that. I don't want my words to be uh, this base language bickering. I want it to be elevated discourse. And if I can't have that, and if I see where it's not going that way, I just tune it out and turn right. it off. I, I, for a long time, I was letting it come in, just like you said, all that, every yeah. direction. And then I realized, just like this device, I was like, well, hang on. I mean, I had a, I, for years, I had a CB in my truck up until recently. And it was the same thing. I was doing the same thing with that technology. When I'm driving down the interstate and too many CB voices coming in and then people start telling stories you don't want to hear and they're, I would just sit there and tune the squelch and turn, turn the gain and all that and then it would go quiet you know. and then the only people I could hear were the people that were near me mm-hmm. not that I wanted to hear that but it was the same principle and right. one day I was just going I do this with my CB all the time 
why can't I do this on social media? Mm-hmm. Just tune tune it. Yeah. You know, tune it. I mean, like, when I'm hanging out with my kids, when I'm hanging out with my girlfriend and her daughter, why would I want to be worrying about notifications on yeah. my personal Facebook? Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, that doesn't... It kind of doesn't exist. Like, it does exist, but if it went away... Right. I, not that much would change. Right. In the grand scheme of things. I hear you. No, I I totally get it. You know, for me, it's the same thing. I mean, so much of what we do in advertising is tied to it now. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's just leak, you know, ink, inking its way mm-hmm. closer and closer to being like all you do. And, um, yeah, we're in a weird position because our market still there's an older generation that's like i'm not even on there i don't even get it i don't know why right, i use it right but at the same time they want to use it and you go for me the only value in it is the human element you know it's just like an instrument or anything it's like well if there's no humanity in this if it's just algorithms and i'm being fed things because of my interests or what have you then what do i want to be in here for right you know, i'm, I'm want to make human connections Mm -hmm. good human connections not you know just like you see like when the president makes a post on twitter and you just go look at just the miles and just millions of just conversations that get started and they get so negative and i'm just like why in the world would i want to stick my head in there yeah you know i mean it's like sticking your head into a bowl of bees man Mm -hmm. i'm like i want to do this to myself, mm-hmm. can't yeah. take it. And that's the thing, it, and it's on both sides. Oh sure, I, I mean, I, it's like throwing a rocket or a Molotov cocktail, and every splatters everywhere. Yeah, and everybody, both sides, like you said, it just turns into this. Yeah, it's just like I know you don't like him, and he doesn't like you. Okay, fine. Right. right. I, I got. I can't. I can't. I got so many other things that that people are depending upon me for. Yeah, and I need a positive, upbeat attitude. Yeah. Well, and it's like you said something. What's in front of you? Who's in front of you? Who can you actually affect? For me, most of the time, that's sometimes it's a client. A lot of times it's relationships at this mm-hmm. table like we have here. And then most of the time it's my family. Right. You know, it's those people. Well, if I can affect them in a positive way, then when they go out into the world, maybe that catches a flame somewhere where they're right. at. Right. That's really the best I can do, you know, for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess with a show like this, there's a little bit bigger blast zone because now there's other people that get to hear what we're talking about here. And mm-hmm. maybe that will mm-hmm. have some residue, you know, as a bigger blast zone, I guess, than maybe my immediate family. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that actually is a lot of why I, uh, I put a lot of my weightlifting stuff like in my social media. Yeah. Because I kind of want people to see, like, look, a lot of people think, oh, I just can't do it. I want to lose some weight before I go to the gym. Like, I hear that a right, lot. I want, to, right. I want to lose a little bit of weight before I go to the gym. I'm like, what? Yeah. No, that's why you go to the gym. There's a lot of that I see online. People talk about that. They're worried that's a shame thing. Like mm-hmm. They're worried people are going to shame them because you got the gym mm-hmm. culture yeah. that's like, you know, got all the gear, look, got the clothes. You know, it's like, that'll, that'll happen in which you just, just don't go to that gym. Find the place that you want to go to. That happens in everything. everything. I mean, look, it's even like when I... I've taught places that are, it was like that. Oh, like man. You walk in, you're like, I won't say the name of the school, but it was one of the first jobs I had after college. And it was like, I'm at the first faculty meeting. I'm introducing myself to people, and they're just kind of like, uh-huh. Like, Yeah. Wow. 
Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this, this does not jive very well. Yeah. It's anything where there's an established culture and then there's a, a tribal attitude. It's mm-hmm. hard to get stuck in, get back in. Like when I, again, talking about Catholicism with my grandfather, when I walked towards that and I got into it, I realized I was bringing all of me to it. Mm-hmm. And the way I look at life and the way things have been in my life was that you bring something to something and then all of a sudden they become sort of uh, the beauty of it is they merge together. Something new is born. Yeah. And what I found more for me, my experience was a little more tribal than that. It was more, um, well, you got to, you need to change to come into this culture. And, and, you know, if you don't have the clothes, have the clothes or you don't have the gear and you don't have the stuff, it's like, you're still an outsider even within until mm-hmm. you adopt you know right. those things yeah, yeah. and that's just everywhere i mean it's i can see people maybe feeling like that but i mean i agree with what you're saying you're putting something out there it is motivating to see mm-hmm. what you're doing and then to see other people comment yeah. and go man good job i'm so proud of you and stuff like that it makes you realize that was kind of what got me curious about you i'm going there's obviously a before and after here because mm-hmm. you're hearing these people cheer you on and st- about your accomplishments right so i knew there has to be a place you gotta yeah. this comes from somewhere yeah it's pretty cool to have people rooting for you yeah yeah uh i mean i've done some dumb things i've made mistakes you know we all do sure and i count myself fortunate that i'm in the position i'm in now where i'm like cool i'm things are pretty good actually yeah you know? i hope it stays that way i have people you. that i love yeah. And that love me. Yeah. Like, I have food every day. I have gainful employment. I'm back in school. My kids are phenomenal. They're doing great. Got a woman that loves me, and I love her unconditionally. What more could you ask for? Is, yeah. Man. So many people don't have even yeah. one of those things. Yeah. You know, through no fault of their own. Yeah. Right? I have my health. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard to be mad when yeah. you just kind of break it down like that. Yeah. You've been given a lot, and, and through all those things that you've shared today, I think you've been given a lot of things that you can draw on. Mm-hmm. That's that's really, and, and to be able to look at them that way and utilize the energy of all that and say, hey, I got, these are all great blessings I can give with. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Dude, I thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. I hope it. this has been good. Yeah. Yeah, it's glad to finally get to meet you. Down, you know, we saw each other at Brian's uh, yeah. memorial there, and uh, I wanted to talk to you, but you know, it just wasn't really the right time or place to dive off a cliff. But, right. Uh, no, this has been good, man. So, how do people get in touch with you if they're interested in contacting? Okay, you? so uh, I do most of my uh, content I put out on Instagram. Yeah. And my Instagram name is uh, Jeremy Boudreaux Space Music Educator. Yeah, okay. We'll put a link to it in yeah. the post. And uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find my business is uh, Village Music School. Right on. Or on Facebook. You can contact me there. Any questions about that stuff? Uh, we have we have five teachers right now teaching different instruments, all levels. We do band rehearsals there, stuff like that. Yeah, and on my on my Instagram page is where you'll see me put a lot of like shows where I'm playing, what groups I'm working with. Yeah, 
And I got some pretty cool things coming down the pipeline. So yeah, we'll keep us posted, man. Mm-hmm. And I hope you do do your podcast. Yeah, just you know, put it on the list. Let's yeah, see, well, you got a lot going on, man. Yeah. You got to prioritize, like, yeah. just like anybody. But yeah, if you if you do do that, man, let me know. Yeah, for sure. We'll stay in touch too. We're we're doing these mixtape episodes now, where we're bringing people back. Okay. To uh, get people that have been on here individually, but put them at the same table together. Ah, yeah. See what happens. I dig it. Yeah, it'd be something different. So yeah. we're we're doing the first one this month. It's gonna have uh, Paul Gonsalon, um Rosie Pryor, and uh, Elizabeth McDaniel. Mm, so awesome. Yeah, should be an interesting conversation. I like all of those people. Yeah. I love you just. Thanks for listening to this episode of Find the Good News. If you would like to advertise on this show or sponsor an episode, just visit findthegood.news. Send me a message and we'll see about getting your business, organization, service, product, or event on the show. I deeply thank each of you again for supporting this podcast.